0: The FT. Welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Patrick Jenkins. Today, yet more management turmoil at Lloyds after high profile hire Nathan Bostock, who was due to take charge of the bank's wholesale division, decides instead to stay on at Royal Bank of Scotland.
1: They're kind of lurching from one temporary solution to another, which I don't think is filling investors with a huge amount of confidence.
0: Nationalised lender Northern Rock is returning to the private sector after Virgin Money agreed to buy the business.
1: Well, it's quite a good deal for the taxpayer. It's an extremely good deal, I think, for Virgin.
0: New UBS CEO Sergio Emotti has talked to the FT and told us that he is going to cut UBS's bonus pool to recoup some of the money it lost in the alleged road trading scandal.
2: They were not going to hold that $2.3 billion loss against the thousands of employees, you know, they basically said, you know, 20, 30 people did this. It's not fair to punish everyone else. He has now said, well, actually.
0: And finally, is tougher regulation around the corner, more invasive regulation from the Financial Stability Board? Joining me this week is the FT's retail banking correspondent, Charlene Goff, and chief regulation correspondent, Brooke Masters. So just let's start off on Lloyd, Charlene. This bank's in turmoil at the moment in terms of management anyway, with Antonio, Antonio Osorio off on sick leave for the last three weeks or so. We still don't know exactly how he is faring, but he won't be particularly pleased to hear that one of his key hires, Nathan Bostock, is no longer going to come and take up the job he was hired for.
1: Absolutely. I mean, Antonio was very keen on Nathan. They'd worked together previously at Santander. It was a real coup for him to draw him away from RBS, where he is currently and has been for a long time winding down their uh, non-core division there. So I think very bad news for Antonio and the rest of Lloyds that they haven't been able to keep hold of him. We're trying to delve a bit today into the actual reasons why. You know, Lloyds have been very sketchy on those details this morning, just saying that he's decided to stay. You know, So we're looking into whether perhaps So RBS has offered him, uh, you know, a a really good either a pay rise or a promotion in future to try and keep him. Now we're hearing that that that's not the case. But, you know, you wonder whether, you know, something must have been offered likewise on Lloyds. There's a sense that, you know, Nathan Bostock could have been in the running for finance director, which is another sort of empty hole in Lloyds right now, and that he's been overlooked for that.
0: I think one of the key things, though, surely is, as you say, as a great previous associate of Antonio and the two men being friends, the idea of being hired into an organisation where that person is no longer in situ, even if they are going to come back, it's a pretty big risk to take. And I guess as a chief risk officer, he's probably going to have weighed <laughs> that kind of uh, that balance fairly yeah. carefully.
1: Exactly. I mean, they're, they're, they are very close contacts. We don't know for sure whether Antonio and Nathan, have, you know, how much they've been in contact over the past few weeks. But he it's unlikely that he would have wanted to commit to going to Lloyd's without the absolute assurance that antonio is returning and while lloyds are still saying on the record you know they fully expect him to be back in you know five weeks really now by the end of the year yeah by the end of the year yeah everyone that you and i talk to outside of lloyds and even you know some people within the organization think that that's still optimistic so and
0: they kind of confirmed that as a plausible idea really that kind of lengthier stay away from the bank by Antonio when they announced today that there's going to be another interim CEO because Tim Tookie the finance director has agreed to stand in as CEO until the end of the year but that obviously he's due to leave the bank himself and go to another job in February and they've announced today that David Roberts who's currently a non-executive at Lloyd's is going to be another stand-in CEO Mm. if needed from January.
1: Yeah, they're kind of lurching from one temporary solution to another, which I don't think is filling investors with a huge amount of confidence at the moment. But they did, I think, want to get across this point that Tim was not going to stay. And we've been, you know, he's been very adamant about that ever since he took over the role as temporary chief executive, that he wasn't willing to delay his departure beyond February. So Lloyd's, with criticism that they were facing a complete vacuum at the top of the organisation, just needed to have another pair of hands there waiting.
0: And a quick word on David Roberts. Is he a credible person in the interim or indeed longer term if he's needed?
1: Well, I think probably interim, yes. Long term, probably no. I think it would, you know, as a, a permanent chief executive, it would be a huge step down from Antonio Otto Osario, who came into great fanfare uh, earlier this year. He spent a lot of his career at Barclays. He David Roberts. Up, was, David yeah, Roberts, yeah, sorry, yeah. yeah. Uh, spent a lot of his career at Barclays and then moved m- more recently to head up an Austrian bank. And I think his disappeared a little bit since then he hasn't had a big executive banking role for a few years yeah he's the,
0: been, a been a non-exec been for yeah. the past what few months or a um, year or so yeah uh, the, for,
1: for there or thereabouts. Yeah. and I think people in the industry I think that you know they, he's had a credible history but I think they think you know the the, the mammoth task at Lloyd's needs someone who um, has been a lot more hands-on a lot more active in the industry in recent years and someone who's got a bit more to give than he has but I think interim you know yeah. fine I hope it won't be too long
0: The other thing to point out is that Lloyd's is said to be on the verge of appointing a new finance director to replace Mr. Tookie. So we'll be watching that space very carefully over the coming days. Just moving on to the other big UK bank story of the moment. This is Northern Rock and the totally nationalised lender, one of the most powerful symbols of the financial crisis mark one back in 2007 2008 when it was taken over by the government virgin money has now agreed to buy the business for well it's a variable sum but there's a kind of close to 750 million of cash plus various other elements that could take the uh, value of the deal up over a billion which isn't actually a bad price really is it charlie i mean it's kind of uh getting close is again a 90% of book value.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very easy to hit out at the price given the figure. The the amount of equity injected into the bank uh, nearly two years ago was £1.4 billion. So you look at that as a headline and you're looking, you know, it's easy to say, well, it could be as little as half that that the government is claiming back. But it's not that simple. You know, like you say, there are these add-ons that will uh, come through over the next, well, partly in the next six months and then into the future, there could be another sort of hundred million coming if the bank can successfully float part of the business in three to five years. So eventually it could be over a billion, which I think you're right. I don't think it looks bad, given that many of the biggest banks in the UK are trading at half of their book value. Yeah, this me. is kind of 0.8, 0.9 times. And also you have to bear in mind that this is only half of Northern Rock. You've also got the profitable so-called bad bank, which is still delivering a sort of slower, steady stream of profits for the government. But also I think you have to to look at it from Virgin's side. Well, it's a, quite a good deal for the taxpayer. It's an extremely good deal, I think, for Virgin, given you know you revealed at the weekend that more than half of the sale price is actually capital that's already there in either Northern Rock or Virgin Money. There's very little fresh. Money, fresh cash having to be injected to yeah, do this particularly deal, particularly from you know, Virgin. Particularly from <laughs> only fifty million. Up yeah, total. Sir Richard Branson, fifty million of, of Virgin funds going to buy sixteen billion pounds of loans. Just seems um well, Virgin's very clever at
0: putting little cash into their. Businesses uh, are yeah. making interesting financial structures around. Brooke, I was just going to bring you in on that point because the bank's advisors are obviously talking to the Financial Services Authority about pushing through this deal. And particularly on the capital side, it's a crucial point of the value that they can extract from the transaction um, exactly how much capital they can release because as Charlene mentioned the individual businesses Virgin and Northern Rock I think both run on capital ratios in excess of 20% at the moment but the idea is that they believe that the combined business can run on a capital ratio of, we're talking core capital ratio of about fifteen percent, which is, in their argument, it makes sense because it's a bigger business, more diversified, and therefore they should be able to. They've they've been talking to the FSA for months. They're confident they can get this through.
2: It'll be interesting because, as you remember, Vickers called for twelve percent.
0: This is the Vickers this Commission in, uh, back in for uh, September. Yeah.
2: So th- that obviously is an absolute floor. The thing is, the FSA in general has wanted new banks to run well in excess of what everybody else runs on, and to the and but while ne- well, neither Virgin nor Northern Rockies per se new, the combination is. And, and it's it's unclear. I mean, the FSA has tended to be very, very hard line on capital. But obviously, the government is very interested in getting this thing sold in a way. So there will certainly be some political pressure to come down. My guess is there will be some restrictions on... They'll probably be allowed to have released a lot of the capital as long as they are using the most restrictive definition for what they continue to count as capital. Because remember, we're in a period yeah. where lots of things that used to count as capital will phase out.
0: Well, I think in their favor is the the, the capital structure. Of- of, certainly of Northern Rock, which is basically pure equity. So I'm not sure, to be honest, on Virgin. Charlie? It's also
1: quite an interesting read-across for the sale of the Lloyds uh, branch portfolio, which is happening simultaneously to the Northern Rock sale. You know, how much capital can they get away with having in that business? You know, again, this is likely to be a new bank if it's sold to MBNK, much bigger bank if it's sold to the cooperative group. They're the two main There's bidders the two main in the bidders, frame. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, a couple of analysts have said to me that actually, you know, Lloyds might be thinking, God, you know, we've really got to make sure this is far better capitalised than we were planning.
0: It sounds like the FSA is going to play a crucial role. We'll we'll keep watching that. Moving on to our third topic, UBS outside the the UK shores finally. Sergio Motti, the Swiss banker who used to be at Unicredit prior to that at Merrill Lynch and for the past couple of months acting CEO at Swiss bank UBS. He was confirmed last week as the permanent CEO, replacing Oswald Grubel, who resigned back in September on the back of all the ructions caused by the rogue trading scandal. Mr. Amotti broke his silence the other day talking to Megan Murphy just after the bank's strategic update on Friday. And Brooke, the details of his strategy are no surprise, shrinking the investment bank and so on. One of the Interesting things that he's talked about is how the bonus pool is is not going to be sacrosanct, and that there's the idea that they can eat into it, if you like, to recoup some of the money lost or two billion plus lost in the uh, rogue trading scam
2: Yeah, UBS had said initially with their third quarter results that they were not going to hold that two point three billion dollar loss against the thousands of employees. You know, they basically said, you know, twenty thirty people did this; it's not fair to punish everyone else. He has now said, well, actually. At the moment, UBS has about $5 billion set aside for the bonus pool as of the end of September. This quarter is going to be appalling for UBS and everyone else. So it's not at all surprising that more will get set aside. And UBS has had such an appalling year that it's also not surprising that in the end, they claw some of it back.
0: From the first three three quarters quarters. as well.
2: I think they're probably emboldened also because everybody else's third quarter results showed that everybody else was seriously reducing how much they were setting aside. So UBS is not going to face the problem it had a couple of years ago where it cut back and others did not. And it started hemorrhaging people.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that UBS was one of the first to reveal their Q3 results. And what took that start. And then we had some of the UK banks, particularly RBS, taking a very different approach, saying we haven't set aside anything for bonuses in the third quarter. We may not do so in the fourth quarter. And in fact, we may claw back some of the funds that we've already set aside for the first half. So, you know, you get a bank like that in a very different position, you know, given the government stake in RBS. But I think it almost cleared the way for UBS to take a harder
0: line. Yeah, emboldened Motti, I guess. Yeah. I suppose the other thing is, you know, is he a credible... CEO. He, I mean, he's the he was, I think the general view is that he was a good head of equities at Merrill Lynch and that he did a decent job at Unicredit. But he's kind of had a fairly stratospheric rise to the top of one of the world's most famous banks. Well,
2: it will be really interesting because he did get passed over at Unicredit. Exactly. Um, and so you would not often expect UBS to take somebody's leavings. But UBS is a troubled bank. So... And it
0: needs, it feels in the political environment that's going on in Switzerland at the moment that it needs a Swiss national to head that Institution, And there aren't very many Swiss nationals free to uh, and appropriate to de-risk a bank like UBS, I suppose.
2: Since uh, Ackerman, who is, is about to step down from Deutsche Bank, doesn't so far seem to be interested.
0: No, and maybe I th- interesting timing around that, because that happened a couple of days before Emotti was confirmed in his role. And I wonder whether if that had happened a few weeks earlier, whether they might have kept the search open for longer. But I think it was it was all tied up by then. So anyway, Um, finally, we should touch on this topic of tougher regulation. Brooke, you were looking at the story last week where international regulators have signaled to you actually that they want to be cracking down in a more kind of invasive way on national regulators around the world and maybe banks individually as well.
2: Well, what was interesting is um, Stefan Ingves, the new head of the Basel Committee, gave a speech in San Francisco to a bunch of Asian, Latin American, and and North American regulators saying, we are going to turn up on your doorstep and make sure you're doing it right. You know, we put out these rules, and this time we're not going to let you just sort of interpret them however you see fit. We're going to come look. And he, in that speech, he hinted at, but did not specifically say that they might turn up at individual banks as well if they were not satisfied by what they were seeing at the regulators. This is really interesting because the Basel Committee has always been very consensual. They don't embarrass people when they issue report cards. It's always you know, people pass or they are working on it. Nobody ever fails. But it is part of an effort by Mr. Engvist and also Mark Carney, the new head of the Financial Stability Board, which is the other big global regulator, to say this time we mean it. We will implement. There will be report cards. You know, we are not going to let people get away with saying, oh, we're compliant when they're not.
0: Is this a frustration generally at the kind of oversight bodies that we've got, you know, at, the, at a European level? I know the European Banking Authority is kind of frustrated to a degree with national regulators that they are kind of overseeing and responsible for, that maybe there's a disparity between the level of toughness uh, imposed by national regulators and they want to have their the ability themselves to go in and, um, you know, get tough with the banks.
2: There's some of that. There is also the fact that the banks use uneven application as an argument for those scrapping the whole system. And Jamie Dimon very famously calls many of these rules anti-American, largely because he says the Europeans aren't having to comply. And in fact, the Europeans use the fact that the U.S. never implemented Basel II as an excuse not to implement Basel III. So I think partly the global groups feel like if we could eliminate that kind of arguing by the banks, then we could go bring the hammer down on them and we wouldn't have to listen to whining from our own bankers.
0: Well, we'll see, uh, we'll see how many hammers we see uh, uh, being wielded by those international regulators over the coming months with two new uh, people at the top. It'll be interesting to see how the dynamic changes. I'm afraid that's all we have time for this week, sadly. All that's left for me to do is to thank Charlene and Brooke here in the studio and thank you for listening. Remember you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at FT.com/banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Emily Cadman. Till next week. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to FT.com